welcome to another Keel Hall podcast. I'm your host, Captain Logan, and we got a lot of Sea of Thieves news to cover today, so tie yourselves to the mast and hold fast. Ahoy there, pirates. I hope you had yourselves a good week and a good weekend. I know I did. This week it is the two-year anniversary of the podcast, and I have a very very special guest. Now, many of you know him already, but if you don't, you're going to be in for a treat because this is what I consider, or who I consider, the mastermind of Sea of Thieves and what we have today. And I can't wait to get into this interview. I had a really good time talking with him, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get to it. Tie down the main mast, mateys. Because here he is. The cunning kingfish, the bad barracuda, a man so deep, he's almost unfathomable. A man so quick, he's even fast asleep. Thank you. Now let's give him a very big hand, because he's only got one. I give you the steel-handed stingray, Captain James Howe. the men favour you, sir. The puling spawn, how I despise them. Go get them, Captain! Yes. Thank you, thank you. Good morning, or good evening, as I should say. <laughs> it's it's either or for me. I'm usually up at this time, so it's, it's kind of my evening for me, technically, but it would be like my 5pm as opposed to my 1am. Right, okay. Great. How's it going? Yeah, good. Yeah. Good. Thank thank you so much for joining me. It's it's a real honor. No, no, it feels like it's been a a long time coming, I guess. Like chatting and like finally getting together to do this kind of podcast. So yeah, it's great. It's good. It's gonna be exciting, I'm so, sure. I'm sure you've got some great questions lined up. I hope so. I hope I do you justice. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about these like all month and I've been writing them down in my oh, journal. Oh no, so. don't say that. Now you're putting pressure on me now. No, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it, trust me. <laughs> I just hope you don't come away and think, oh God, I wish he had asked some, some deeper questions. Um, I've, I've right. tried to field a couple from friends that, that, uh, will hopefully give me some good idea, but I actually, I wanted to, kind of start off because I have some what I consider very important questions that I have to ask you. Mm. What is what's your favorite Star Wars film? Oh wow. Ooh. Um I know the answer. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking of the reasoning. Obviously the first Star Wars film I saw was A New Hope, episode four, yeah. or just Star Wars. But I think my go-to Star Wars movie in terms of I just want to get that hit of Star Wars or I want to explain to someone or show someone what I love about Star Wars. It's got yeah. to be Empire Strikes Back. That's my favorite. That is a really good one. And it, it definitely capitalizes on some of the coolest things about the series. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, it's the, you know, Han and Leia's relationship, um, the whole yeah. Cloud City scenes, the 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 emotion, tonally, it's a lot more varied. The Dagobah sections, like it's just yeah, ama- amazing film. Everyone says that though, don't they? So, <laughs> I, I definitely have a lot of friends that really that really say that Empire is probably the best, and I agree. It is definitely one of my favorites. And 
top five for sure uh or top three i would say for sure but it, it's it's so tough for me to try and it changes all the time for me like i always feel like i'm, I'm changing my mind about it but yeah i, I would say empire is definitely comfort food for for when i want to sit down and watch it yeah um uh, okay so if, if empire is your favorite then how about indiana jones oh i mean my favorite film is probably raiders of the lost ark i can see but that. <laughs> i would say i really like temple of doom really, really like it and it gets so, such a bad rap but just it's just got this you know that whole thing that george lucas always said it's the it's harkening back to the adventure serials and just the atmosphere it creates and just that opening um, musical number and oh it's, it's oh yeah i think like and you know I'm, I'm 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 a total geek for star wars indiana jones <laughs> but i just think in that was indiana jones in his absolute prime just harrison ford the actor indiana jones the character the way he mm-hmm. looks the way he acts it's just the prime of that character and yeah. it's unfortunate that it's in a movie that maybe not everyone values uh, and don't get me wrong he's it, it, definitely all over the place tonally uh, <laughs> and there's definitely some questionable things in there but like it yeah. is just that scene at the end where he's he's kind of he's freeing the kids and like he's in the mine and he's kind of stood there and that the epic shot when when he's fighting on the conveyor belt it's the rope bridge oh, it's yeah. just it's got so many fantastic scenes in it um yeah but yeah overall overall it, it doesn't quite land i mean last crusade i think emotionally is the strongest yeah um see I, i've always been scenes, a, I, i've been a huge fan of the last crusade because i i love the the relationship between andy and his father and the quest for the Holy Grail has always been one of those those big stories in my in my life that I just I love that story. So the fact that they're going on this, it, it feels like kind of like a Goonies esque story where they're having to go down into these catacombs to try and find this this tomb of this knight in his in the engraving on his shield. And like I just I love how all these different characters come come together and in, in betrayal and in, in love and all this. Oh, I love that stuff. I think I think if you'd asked me when I was a lot younger, I would have said Last Crusade because of all the things you just mentioned. I think mm-hmm. being a lot older, appreciating Raiders of the Lost Ark as a movie and how it's shot and how it's filmed and how it was the first one, I think that's why it superseded the others. But Last mm-hmm. Crusade would have been my favorite growing up. I mean, the whole the, the cup of the carpenter and, you know, it's not this gilded, oh, yeah. shiny thing. It's this kind of gnarly beaten looking little cup and you know, know the whole yeah. oh, indiana you know let it go and there's all those bits it's just i absolutely oh. adore they're just there's a kind Man. of a, there's a there's almost like a mythic more mythic level of storytelling in that third one yeah, it's great. yeah. i love i love the mysticism that came with uh uh, with Temple of Doom, like that, the whole, the whole world that he, that he got dropped into, literally dropped into, that he just he kind of had to deal with it, and and it was so amazing to see like how he kind of helped this entire village and stopped all this tyrannical stuff going on, but still had time to kind of have fun and play around with 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 all the different characters in there, and, and still bring a really good story to you through their eyes, and and uh, yeah. There's, there's so much to love about those movies that I, I don't think I get to talk about with too many people on a regular basis about. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, that's the, I mean, just, I think I'd, I'd mentioned this to the, 
the actual DK Vine guys years ago when, when we when we kind of met up in person. The mm-hmm. part of the reason, obviously, I grew up loving rare games, as you know, and part of the reason Donkey Kong Country like really stood out to me. Not it was a fantastic game. The level design was fantastic. It looked amazing. Such a fantastic yeah. world. But just the whole minecart sequence. Oh, like playing yeah. playing that game made me realize there's someone at Rare who likes the films that I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really that. I remember playing those when I was when I was young and, and just getting a real oh man, I used to get stuck on those levels. But it was it that was kind of where I learned precision gaming with with yeah. like how to time stuff, and that's where it really kind of took me to another level where I was like, all right, well, I'm used to Mario, I can jump around, I'm not the best, but I can still get my fun from it. But when I was playing Donkey Kong Country, it was like you had to know like just where to jump and just how long to hold the jump for, and that was when I was I was like, oh, this is a good game. It looks amazing too. Yeah, it was it was one of those standout titles that you always remember, and I think like the and the second one is probably my favorite. Um, yeah, Donkey Kong Country. I just think it was that it was the formula perfected. It obviously had a fantastic pirate theme as well, and music was yeah. brilliant as it was across the whole series. But but yeah, there we go from Indiana Jones to Donkey Kong Country in five minutes. That's not bad. Nice That's job. pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see. I'll have to trade this into or turn this into the record holders and see if we can get get an award for it. Um, <laughs> so okay, so moving into from Donkey Kong Country two in a really strong pirate theme, favorite pirate movie. I would say, I'd, is it a pirate movie? It is, it is to me. I would say The Goonies. Obviously, I'm yeah. going to say that. Um, I would. But I love I love Goonies. I love the original animated Peter Pan. I, love, I loved Hook, 1992. Oh, yeah. 1991, Hook. I absolutely loved oh, that. Um, I actually really liked, I don't know if you saw it, the Christian Bale, Charlton Heston adaption of Treasure Island. Oh, I don't know if I ever saw that one. Oh, you should totally seek that out. It, 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 I don't think it's on Blu-ray. I don't think it's on any streaming services, but it's, it certainly isn't in this country. Um, but to. yeah, uh, Christian Bale as Jim Hawkins, Charlton Heston as Long John Silver, Oliver oh Reed as, uh, is in there as well as, um, oh my. Oh, as, as Bill. It's just unbe- unbelievable. Like it's obviously it's not the biggest budget film, but uh, atmosphere and how close it is to the book. It's awesome you should definitely seek that out well there's some there's some real acting chops in that lineup jeez yeah, i can't I feel bad i haven't ever bothered i haven't found out about this that's insane that's um, really good and then and then and then a little bit um i think i was very young when it came out so i'm not going to put too many caveats on it but at the time i really liked cutthroat island yeah yeah i, I liked too. it it, it was back, adventurous. No, more flaws but at the time it was it felt like it was on the um like the cinema for a couple of weeks and then she took it off because it was taking no money at the box office <laughs> but it was absolutely yeah it was great it was so it's like how did they afford to make this movie yeah definitely so <laughs> as i wanted to to kind of break the ice with these films because i think anyone that that knows you and, and knows see can all attest that these are these are kind of like our little gems that we that we pick out of out of our childhood that kind of bring us to what what makes Sea of Thieves so special and and it all kind of comes around to this idea of creating your own adventure creating your own story and that's something that you've always always talked about and anytime I've ever listened to you talk to other people about the game and it's something that I know 
anyone that plays this game finds that kind of joy out of this and a lot of folks can can pick and choose what they like about the game so i wanted to bring you on because i wanted to talk about world building because sea of thieves Mm. is it's a it's a game i've i've never played a game like this before (laughs) and it's it's so cool to to just pick it up and you know whatever i want to do just go out and do it but it's all it's got this beautiful world to live in and it's all pirate based so pretty much anything goes as far as what i want to do and Mm -hmm. the thing that i I really kind of wanted to talk about was obviously lore and i kind of want to start off with lore because based on the stuff that you love growing up you've crafted this story and when the game first came out a lot of that was kind of locked away uh outside of the game like we we knew a little bit about who each of the different factions were but was it always kind of your goal when making sea of thieves that you wanted to try and and slowly kind of craft more narrative into the game or were you more kind of see how people uh, take it and see if that's something that they like. And then if they like it, then kind of start pushing more of that into the game and instead of just keeping it to like books. I think the, the, I mean, certainly like years before launch, a lot of the law that is now kind of second nature to like, you know, big fans of the game that was all mapped out, but only really explored as, as, as you kind of mentioned in the tales of the sea of these law book and then then eventually the novel just before the tall tales but the, the real turning point was early in the prototype um when initially at least it was very mechanical very mechanics based and you had mm-hmm. the galleon on the water and you could explore what were effectively prototype islands they weren't the islands that um you see today although some of them have a lot of similarities like crescent island there was a version of smugglers bay back then um mm-hmm. but our goal was not to immerse you in the lore our goal was can we prove out the core gameplay of you know four four players on a ship truly feeling like they're working together and they're having that choose your own adventure experience but in, in, in a just in, a, in kind of a really basic way then the turning point became i guess we started to add characters um, mm-hmm. and characters to embody and be the cipher for kind of certain types of gameplay so the pirate lord went in first as a aspirational character that basically controlled your progression um, yeah so and what we first had was very rudimentary and then as we expanded it and i started to get really deep into island design working with the art team to kind of work out how big's the world how many islands are there? What are the world regions? What are the landmarks on the island? And why could they potentially be there? That was mm-hmm. happening at the same time as kind of the, the I'll call it the formalization of the core loop. So what yeah. do you go up to do? Where does it end? And what's the reason to go back around? So, and it was only ever, obviously, in CFEs, it, it's pretty slim anyway. But the idea of you can't open chests in the world. They're physical mm-hmm. objects that aren't really yours until you hand them in. You're basically ferrying, ferrying them across the world. And then the ownership of certain play styles around um, factions, uh, which later became trading companies. And that's where we really started to get into, well, my mind started getting into, okay, these characters are in the world. 
and they want you to do these things. And this was years and years ago. Why are they there? Why are they asking you to do these things? Why is the world the way it is? And why does everyone want to be in the Sea of Thieves? And that was the really seed for what 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 is the pirate's life in the Sea of Thieves? What does it represent? And yeah. that's how the characters start to start to be built from there, which is okay, the pirate lord represents this. He represents the uh epitome of the crew bond. You know, the pirate yeah. the pirate's life in the Sea of Thieves is one fraught with peril because there's cursed objects and there's temptation and you can be consumed by your own greed. Uh and the pirate lord was someone who embodied, you know, he wasn't he wouldn't go troll other players. He wasn't someone who mm-hmm. would turn against his crew. He was about the crew bond above all else. So the idea was, well, maybe he didn't choose greed. Maybe he didn't choose these cursed objects. He chose objects and gravitated towards quests that would only allow him to continue to live his adventures forever, which is why he became a ghost. Um, and then you start playing with wards the opposite to that. And then you get things like gold hoarders and giving in to greed. So generally the, you know, the, the canvas for the world was the island design and then just the characters and why they wanted to be there. Why did everyone want to be in the Sea of Thieves? And just this idea of it's it's a pirate paradise and it's hidden from the world by what became the Devil's Shroud. Um, and just that, what I thought was a really kind of um, exciting notion was that the Sea of Thieves is, is actually a real place. and if you had the key or you had the map or you knew where it was, anyone could get there. And then it felt like, well, in real pirate taverns, this would be something that would be talked about over a glass of grog, as in this kind of fairy tale that people would want to yeah. get to, the Shangri-La of the pirate world. Um, and that was that's it, really. I mean, that that's really the seed of it. And then you've kind of got a basis for what's important, character motivations, and then you can build from there. But all of that was very well understood um even before some of the very particulars of the gameplay were nailed down um the whole idea of the order of souls um being bounty hunters that want the skulls because they read the memories of the skulls and they are basically the magical cartographers of our world that was i mean that was planned out years before it went into game and totally appreciate in the game when it first launched it's it's pretty wafer thin, right? You go, why do they want these skulls? Oh, they're, they're just creepy and they just want these skulls and they give you gold for them. <laughs> there was definitely, a, you know, a level of a level of thinking behind all of that. It just, it just wasn't, just wasn't, it just wasn't the, the right time. And the game was led on, as you say, choose your own adventure. It was yeah. about making players the main characters. It wasn't about, you know, forcing all this law uh, on them. Um, but, but, but later as we, continue to build out the features in that first year. The big thing that was missing um, for me and the team was this thing, that this sense of a story voyage, this voyage that was going to give you more of the lore of the world. So you'd be able to role play and choose your own adventure more easily because you understand why the world is the way it is, what the mechanics of it are, the laws within that world and why people are there and why people want to get there and how that's almost like a, it's a, it's kind of like a proxy for the player as well. Like I've always liked that idea that the same the characters want to be there because of the freedom of the Sea of Thieves, and players mm-hmm. want to play Sea of Thieves because of the freedom of Sea of Thieves. And there's a nice parallel there. Yeah, there really is. It, it's felt it's interesting because as as gamers, I feel like we always struggle with feeling like we want to progress, and 
there's definitely times where some of my friends, they like to jump on Sea of Thieves because for them, it feels like a break from constantly needing to, to feel like they're, they're doing some sort of grinding or, or working towards a certain goal. And, and getting on Sea of Thieves for them is the time when they get to have fun and they just get to relax and have, have some adventure and not really care too much whether they get gold or don't get gold. But, you know, they like to get some and then afterwards they want to go celebrate by hunting down a ship and, and trying to steal someone's treasure. And if we don't get them, oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. We still had fun. But if we do, then it's even even better of a victory for the end of the night. And I yeah. wanted to, um, you, I could listen to you talk about Sea of Thieves all night, uh, but you don't mentioned a couple me. of don't things. Don't let me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's a couple things that you touched on that I, I want to give you a couple options to, to kind of dive into. Because um, mm -hmm. with... You talked early on uh, about how you were crafting the islands and how a lot of the islands haven't changed. Um, one quick note that I, I was curious if you knew, uh, I know you've helped design Sailor's Bounty. And down in Sailor's Bounty um, has, has become a bigger thing as far as like becoming a, a part of a tall tale. But there's one little dog collar that's been in the game for quite a while. It's shifted <laughs> positions... And is currently residing on the ankle of a foot uh, skeleton leg that is sticking up out of the ground. And this is something I've been I've been keeping track of this collar for quite some time. So I wanted to ask and see, do you know what that collar is and why it's there and what's going on with that? I do. Uh, have you spoken to DeMarco in the tavern? Not recently. Should I? So... The, I mean, really, the well, you should, but the the okay. owner of that collar uh, is related to the name of the Sea Dog Tavern. Interesting. So, okay, glory, the glorious Sea Dog is the name of the tavern, and um, oh, but yes, it's, it's related to Demarco. Okay. I will have to dig into that because I've been, that's yeah. been something that's been itching in the back of my mind for a very long time. Um, so I've been, I'm glad to know that there's, there is a good story behind it and I'll dig into that. Um, well, hopefully so, most things you find should have a, will have a level of thought behind them, even though you well, that's know, what sometimes it feels like we, we do it for ourselves as much as, much as the, the kind of fans. <laughs> That's that's what I appreciate so much about the game. It's like anything that I find in the game has been thought about why it's there. It's not just there. And and especially when someone starts poking around at, at it in, throughout the course of a couple of years, I start to wonder like, okay, well, what's really going on here? Because I, I don't know if anyone else is paying attention to this, but it's, it's something on my mind. Um, but I wanted, okay, so I wanted to dive into... Uh, a couple, a small little portion that you talked about where, where you were creating the different seas. And I've always wondered, because you have the Shores of Plenty, which is the, the quintessential uh, Caribbean-style world. And you've got the Ancient Isles, which is very, very drenched in like very ancient lore. Makes me feel of like Brazil and kind of South Africa areas and stuff. Mm -hmm. but, when, but we've got the wilds. And the ancient tribes that were, were they weren't actually net, like kind of situated on the actual islands. They were more of a roaming tribe as far as some of the, uh, the, the actual tattoo descriptions. Uh, or oh, wait, is it tattoo? I think it's makeup. It's makeup 
descriptions yes. kind yes. of lead to um, them being a roaming a roaming tribe. So I, I was wondering what was the what was the inspiration for the wilds? What was the goal that you wanted to create this darker atmosphere in Sea of Thieves? Well, even be- even before we had those regions, mm-hmm. a big part of our original kind of pitch. Um, both externally to Microsoft and internally to the other teams at Rare around Sea of Thieves was we wanted to create a game that could provide players with a wider range of emotions than they typically get in a game. Right. Um, from you know feeling the awe of looking at a sunset in Sea of Thieves, the awe of looking at a skeleton fort cloud, you know, the sense of loss when you you lose your treasure and you lose your ship, you know, exploring mm-hmm. on an island in a storm, foreboding atmosphere exploring in mysterious caves it was like let's 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 build a game that runs the full spectrum of emotions because mm-hmm. if we're building a choose your own adventure experience you want to ensure that even if you're going back to the same island because the world is just a stage to serve up these adventures to you you're going back to sailor's bounty for example or smuggler's bay or crescent isle you're going back there for the 50th the 100th time but with a very different motivation that things could happen to you that made that experience feel entirely unique. You know, your ship could sink yeah. in the bay, a storm could roll in, a fog bank could roll in, you could be attacked by the Kraken. You, you could encounter other players on the island, work with them or work against them. So mm-hmm. when it came to the world, it felt like that needed to be built into the world as well. So your initial expectation when you think of Sea of Thieves and you look at screenshots is, of course, it's the, it's the shores of plenty. Um, yeah. The idea of this, you know, this bountiful Caribbean region with turquoise waters, white sand, you know, it's absolutely gorgeous. All kind of flat islands, like little atolls. Ancient yeah. Isles was very, again, was right from the start. It, it's more ancient ruins. There's more kind of going on there. There's more of an Indiana Jones, I'm going through jungle kind of feel. Um, yeah. That felt like it was going to be an important part of our game. And then the wilds was. Okay, so we've got this adventure feeling area. We've got this paradise, like some place you'd want to have your vacation. And then the wilds was, what if we had this oppressive place that when you were there, it felt very, almost like you didn't want to be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like and It works. You, you'd, advent, you'd adventure there. And it'd all be kind of bones and everything's very dark and brown and gray. And there's kind of, there's not much kind of, even the palms themselves, like it's pushing more kind of reds and yellows, all the will, the leaves are wilted. Um, But then when you come out of there and you hit the ancient tiles and the shores of plenty, it's like, oh, I'm back. Um, (laughs) So just trying to make it feel like a a more more varied voyage, a more varied adventure. The wilds was designed from the ground up to feel oppressive. (laughs) That's that's. I was really wondering if that was kind of at the root of it, because it is exactly that. Every time I get out of the wilds, so I'm like, oh, it's so nice. Oh man, it's such a relief. Yeah. I feel it like is. I'm free. I mean, and, and everyone said that, and maybe, maybe we did go a little bit too far. I'm not sure, but I think without that level of thinking, I think we would have just done three versions of typical Caribbean, which isn't that interesting. Um, True. There's yeah, always, we knew, we, we knew, we like we we had the freedom to extend any of those areas or go into new areas, which we obviously did with Devil's Raw. Um, but each area was just trying to give you something unique. So let's dive into the Devil's Roar. 
because that was something that I think all of us were extremely excited to find out what it was back when you guys uh, had had done a roadmap, which to me, the, the 180 you guys pulled at launch still boggles my mind. The fact that you guys had all these ideas and you put them all on hold for the most part just so that you could actually address player concerns and you you mm-hmm. completely far exceeded my expectations for what you guys were doing. I, I was blown out of the water the first year and then we got anniversary update with the tall tales and it was even better. And the thing I wanted to, to kind of bring up, um, we've moved into a monthly cadence with the updates for Sea of Thieves, which has been mm-hmm. really interesting to see just how the world has has changed um we've we're the thing i've always wanted uh to see kind of happen is to see the world kind of build and grow as time goes on and we've we've had instances where it's happened drastically uh say with like the the rocks in the different parts of the island that have sprung up or or for example sea dog uh uh, the sea dog um uh, tavern in the middle yeah. of the spire but we're starting to get to a place now where we're getting slight incremental updates with like reaper's hideout where it, it appears mm-hmm. that the mass stranger or someone helping the mass stranger is starting to build up a fort and it's it's cool to see just like what's going to happen next month to find out like what 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 might change what might not change but to see it kind of shift and turn and, and start questioning our our decisions as we as we continue to feed bones gold and silks to <laughs> this mysterious person along with these tombs that we don't understand but are named very curious titles and i i think back and i brought this up when i was talking with uh, captain jay from the crow's nest that we, we kind of lament the time when we had this buildup, we had this hype and this this mystery of the unknown of all we had to go off of was a, 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 a image that said curse sails and forsaken shores. And we, we constantly <laughs> kept thinking like, what could the forsaken shores be? And then, and then when we found out that it was the devil's roar and it was the breadth of this new zone and all these volcanoes, it just, it floored us as far as just what we were actually going to be getting. So I wanted to ask, um, do you do you like having the monthly cadence? Uh, do you ever do you ever see wanting to do like a big update the way we had with Curse Sales or with Forsaken Shores? Is there something epic enough for that to to be warranted again, or or are you content with how we're delivering or how how content is being delivered currently? That's a great question. I think there's there's definitely advantages of both um, of both approaches, and you've you've kind of called them out some of some of those advantages out. I think that first year of having air plans, and then in that first couple of weeks following launch, literally moving that stuff out and reevaluating what the game needed at that point. I mean that. That that I mean that point is a challenging time anyway because all we'd really had at that point we'd had technical alphas we'd had closed betas but it's not really that wide audience that you see at launch so it's mm-hmm. a very hard time of knowing well we know how we feel about the game but how ultimately is it going to land and I think honestly it can go it can go one of two ways it can go you've actually 
over-egged certain aspects and this is actually going to slant more negative than you think or you've undersold that it's actually going to slant more positive so you, re- you really don't know yeah. um how the game's going to be perceived at a wide audience i think the moment you know and you know very quickly it's easy to go right so that's where the pieces have fallen we know exactly what we need to do now let's go which is what that first year was about which mm-hmm. the feedback was loud and clear foundation's good i mean if you look across all the even the the kind of mixed reception negative reception is like the foundation's good there's something special here but i want more i just want more i want more things to do um more yeah. interactions to happen more combinations and mechanics so that was that was a, a simpler prospect to go um from from like a creative perspective to go design and go um implement obviously it's a challenge to go deliver that stuff but um it was very clear what we needed to do but that first year as you say was here's a word on a roadmap gets the imagination going oh what could it be where they're going to take it and your mind goes all to the to all these fanciful places that's much more of a even though we're running a service a much more of a traditional dlc model where a name gets announced and then your imagination goes wild and that absolutely it's like having several Christmases throughout the year. You've been mm-hmm. given this very little, te- you've been given this little tease, and your mind wanders and the speculation starts, and then it gets dropped in one go, and you just get to consume it really fast. There's something really attractive about doing it that way, from you know trying to engage players and excite them. I think it puts a lot of pressure in terms of you're not really and we didn't have our insider program for what like, well, we didn't have the insider program in the in the way where there was such a lead time on people getting builds so a lot mm-hmm. of that stuff would land and cause issues with the game mm-hmm. so it's just a lot of content to get ready uh, in one go and that's absolutely nothing to do with the level of effort because the level of effort is the same as four or five monthly update all stuck together it's nothing to do with the effort it's about just how much the game is changing in one go and how that can introduce issues and basically create instability in the game and that puts a lot of pressure on the internal teams where Mm -hmm. say you release any of those hunger and deep curse sales for taking chores it comes out but it's not over you can't then instantly move on to the next piece of content because you've got to spend the next two months fixing the issues you've introduced by dropping such a massive update. So this ripple yeah. effect happens. So you're stopped from making new content. So that's the downside of it. Uh, and then monthly updates, you're taking a lot, you the medium-sized features in the background that will drop when they're ready, like tall tales and features that are coming soon. And then, mm-hmm. but every month players are guaranteed to get you know, some semblance of voyages, there's rewards, there's new things to go to to go unlock. There's, you know, quality of life improvements. There's little features that are kind of going in there at the same time. The advantage of that is players know every single month they're going to get something. So you can feel excited each month. You're not going to disengage or less likely to disengage, hopefully, between the major updates. Uh, and also it unlocks the stuff that you've seen us do, which has been really um fulfilling which is the environmental storytelling really going deeper on that which we've always been doing but really trying to tell more of a an episodic story unfolding which is i think the way it's a niche thing right it's only going to appeal to people that really kind of value the 
because it's slight things. It's the thing that Duke says. It's a hidden note here and there. It's an island that's changing over time. And you, knowingly, you're going into that thinking that only the most engaged players are going to notice it. But it's still so fulfilling to do, create dots, get people to connect them until eventually the world changes in a much more meaningful way. But I think what we've found is that the move to monthly is makes more sense from a team perspective. You're releasing, you're always getting ready to release an update. So the moment January is released, you're straight on to finishing February's features that have been bubbling along for a while and then finalizing the build and getting that out there. You, the features are more understood. They've gone through more testing time. They're less likely to break the game. And then we can have these kind of monthly teases. And just in terms of uh, us acquiring players and retaining players, the monthly updates are definitely doing a better job of that. Yeah. So I think I think we've found uh, the right groove as a team for yeah. for how we continue to expand this world. I think what I will say is there was definitely a shift last year where the monthly updates were, you know, Black Pedestal Dashes and Smuggler's Fortune, and there's kind of new things to go earn and quality of life. And then you had the slightly bigger drops like For the Damned, Maiden Voyage, and obviously um, Seabound Soul. And I yeah. think you'll see a lot more of that this year um, and more so where there's larger features that we've been working on a while, for a while dropping with a monthly update. So that's what really I will sad. say is de- <laughs> de- decouple, decouple the idea of monthly updates mean that it's only ever going to be small things because it, that's not true. It just means that you're going, there's going to be something every month. It just might not be a big thing, but there is bigger things being worked on that will just jump on the next monthly update train. See, that's, that's what's exciting for me because I, there's, I love that we're getting monthly updates. Um, but knowing that, that there that we're still going to be like yeah, I was completely surprised when uh, Maiden Voyage and Seabound Soul came out. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting those at all. So when people were like, there were whispers among the community under hushed mm-hmm. hushed words because of of the insider NDA, but they were mentioning things, and I I had no context to what it was. So getting to jump into the Maiden Voyage completely. Uh, like uh, fresh without any understanding of what to do i spent probably way more time hunting for for just any any little tidbit of of little little hint that you guys could have put in there and i was so rewarded when i did find some something here or something there Mm -hmm. and just enjoying that experience and and the and and i've I've told you uh uh, in the past of it just the the last leg of that adventure just being so beautifully crafted in in mm-hmm. in its full experience and same thing with uh seabound soul like the the ramp up to the ending of seabound soul mm-hmm. felt so awesome it was it was absolutely amazing and i can't wait to have more of those because i think that's i feel like that's where the team is going with the monthly updates is that we're going to be getting these tall tales uh, uh more regularly as as the game moves into some of the bigger story arcs that i think are are eventually kind of coming to like i've already in my mind i've already planned out what the next like three months of sea of thieves is probably going to head towards and i can't wait to see if i'm going to be right or wrong about it but i'm I'm excited nonetheless because it, already you guys have kind of laid out the the breadcrumbs as i'm slowly walking to the to the cottage in the middle of the forest and i'm, <laughs> and I'm 
just I'm, I can't wait to find out, you know, what's going to happen when I when I get to the cottage and stuff. But um, I'm some glad of the you got to enjoy the maiden voyage fresh. It was great, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, it, glad, I'm glad you got to enjoy it that way. I've been I've been trying to get more and more people to jump in there because I want people who've never played Sea of Thieves to try out Maiden Voyage just so I can hear their perspective of it because I feel like there's a lot that I I is kind of old knowledge for me stuff that I've learned so for me like okay well I know what a shovel is I know how to how to fish I know how to do all this but I I want to hear what people's experience about the the first interactions with a skeleton tied to a tree that comes to life after you pull a sword out of it, it's like so. Mm. Um, still, got, still got to get him talking. He was meant to um, basically scream stuff at you at you when you pull the sword out. Oh man, that <laughs> would be back, amazing. Turn back. Got to get oh him god, <laughs> we that did record it. We just ran out of time. But I think oh. like the 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 monthly updates. Um, it's just. It's like Maiden Voyage and Seabound Solon are great examples of because something is coming out anyway and it's up to the team to go, you know, we think Seabound Solon is going to be ready for November or we could sit down and play and go, you know what, this is shaping up so well, let's let's hold it a little bit longer and let's really put the polish on this that we really want. So it, it lands yeah. and totally has the impact that we want on players. You can do that because there's a separate thread of work that's just going to happen anyway and it's going to get released every month. So there's always going to be a release for Sea of Thieves. But those bigger features are dropping in when they truly feel like they're ready. You know, the core of it's there and we know it's going to have an impact with players. I think it just it gives you the best of both worlds. But there's definitely going to be collections of features that have law behind them that will, you know, sometimes will want to hold um, so they come in together. I mean, that's mm -hmm. still, I mean, not, it's not fully like the first year with like a big DLC drop, but more the sense of just a group of features that coming together that thematically makes sense. We're still not prevented from doing that. And I think we are still going to do that because it makes sense to, you know, to totally or hopefully blow, blow players away with, with something a bit more meaningful. Yeah, yeah no, it's def definitely, definitely the right approach um that we've found and we, we try we tried a lot of approaches and this is the one that really kind of makes sense both from a um creative execution perspective but also from a you know not completely destroying the team every couple of months right yeah and and that's that's what i'm glad to hear uh at the at the end of the day i i i'm i love love or hate different updates regardless i i'm just i i want to make sure that whatever the monthly cadence is, is that it's not something that is just breaking the studio to the point where they, where they just aren't content with the work that they're actually putting in. Cause that's, yeah, I, th I think the risk is people will, this is a thing you privileged enough to work for rare, to work on sea of thieves. And the truth is that people will just do it. They will just do it because they're passionate about the game. And that's the truth. People will, give up their evenings, they'll give up their weekends, they'll push every single day at 100 miles an hour. And it's just, you just find yourself falling into it. Um, and everything everything around your work takes the hit. And that's just, that's not fair. You know, this is, this Sea of Thieves has to be a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. Like if it's a sprint, it will come to an end. And we won't take this experience in this world to where it ultimately can be. We're just not going to make it because we'll 
we'll burn ourselves out. We've yeah. got to, we know where we want this game to be. We know what it can be. Um, you know, we value so much what it means to our players, but we've, you know, we're going to get where we want to get, but we're going to do it as a marathon. So I, I wanted to, God, man, there's so much I want to ask that I don't think I'll actually get answered, but, um, I, <laughs> I wanted to, <laughs> I've I've been thinking um, a lot about this next generation for Xbox and what it means for players to be able to upgrade their hardware and how that's going to affect Sea of Thieves because there's been a lot of conversation around Xbox uh, not restricting their first-party content to just the new series of consoles but allowing older console systems to still enjoy the games that are going to be coming out from Microsoft. So... I've, I've been under this idea um, about how a lot of people have been wanting and desiring different biomes in the game. That's a, it's a constant thread that I see mm. almost any time there's a panel, uh, someone wonders like when there's going to be a certain number of things. There's always some things on this checklist that everyone has that they want to see checked off for Sea of Thieves. And in response to what I, every time I hear that, I think, well, how would they address this? And the one idea that I had that I'm, I'm curious, not necessarily if this is something that's actually going to happen, because I, I don't think that you guys would ever, would ever come out and just say that. But I wanted to kind of hear what your feelings on this were um, about uh, effectively what would be a, a, a Sea of Thieves 2, like a sequel, um, where everything is coming to a close the shroud is closing in on the, the seas that we know it and there's a last ditch effort for everyone to have to evacuate and some people may make it some people might not make it but as we are shifting with the ebb and flow of the shroud we start to sail out into the unknown and as we follow the shroud it takes us into these new biomes where we discover new cultures new ship types new people and new types of of uh events and in, in lore to dive into so i was kind of curious is is that something that is even feasible for sea of thieves is that something that like with the shroud the way it acts is that a, a, a possibility or is that just like a, a dream in the middle of the sky that i'm just going to let sit there no, no, I, I think that is that is mechanically how the sh the shroud works. <laughs> that absolutely yeah. could happen. I think, obviously, the from a law perspective, the history that you see in the ancient tiles and the cave paintings implies that at least that core of the shroud has been open for you know for a long, long time and right. you know thousands of years. But the outer fringes of the current known sea of thieves, there's been an ebb and a flow that has happened. I think the the idea of basically wiping the slate clean and moving it forward to a completely different area is when you say that. Even I get I get really excited when you say that. That sounds really cool. Um, I think, and this is still true, of we called them outposts very very deliberately. Because it was the idea of you, players, you haven't turned up in the Golden Age. You haven't turned up after the Golden Age. You haven't turned up and missed everything. Because the, the Golden Years of Sea of Thieves are still ahead, both in terms of 
the law, the place, what you do in the game, but also what it means to you as a player. You haven't turned up and missed the best bits. You haven't turned mm-hmm. up in the bustling pirate ports with cobbled streets and taverns where people start adventures. You've turned up and it's basically a new frontier. They're frontier towns with people trying to scratch a living. And the trading companies themselves, they're not like the companies of the outside world or outside the Shroud, you know, air equivalent to the East India Trading Company. They are tiny little uh, trading company representatives trying to scratch a living in this new world. Mm-hmm. And I think I love the idea of the Shroud expanding. And that that's why we why we wanted that approach in the first place, because it, it made sense for the world, but also gave you that creative freedom to kind of say, well, who, what, who knows what's hidden in there? This thing could expand over time, as you, as you saw with, with Devil's, with, um, Devil's Raw. Yeah. But I think there's something nice about, if that ever did happen, the idea of Plunder Outpost is not even Plunder Outpost anymore. Plunder Outpost is something else. And it you see that recognizable stack in the center, but... It, and you've got that sense of history, but now it's it's something else. It's a truly established pirate port. I think that would be, and I'm not confirming any, I'm just saying that would be a nice direction yeah. in which to go, that there could be new places to sail, uh, but the places that you've called home over several years of playing Sea of Thieves are now fundamentally changed. And that's that's something I know I know a few of my friends, uh, other content creators and stuff, we've talked about the like what when will we uh be able to to have established and help establish the the merchants uh in in the different factions mm-hmm. on the outposts enough to where we can open a pirate emporium above the order of souls tent and utilize that that building mm-hmm. um i've i've had this idea that i th- i think eventually duke will have so much uh, uh gold and, and standing within the bilge rats that he'll buy the upstairs half of the tavern and we'll will he'll rebuild the staircase and when we go to visit duke he may be down getting a beer but he may be upstairs having a party and and all these different things but i i do really love the idea of how Sea of Thieves will continue to grow and change and and expand and, and kind of see how things evolve. Maybe we have, uh, you know, Plunder Outpost starts to take true to its name and becomes more of a hub for uh, like gold hoarders. So if you wanted to take the good plunder, then you or the, you wanted voyages from from the the best of the best, then you would have to sail down to Plunder Outpost because that's where all of the gold hoarders have have coveted the best maps to try and get some of the most interesting treasure as you as you kind of go on. But if you wanted to go out into the the wilds, you would be able to to come up against some of the the most ruthless skeletons that the order of souls have ever even heard about and they're venturing out to try and go out there so galleon's grave you're dealing with order of souls merchants just all around constantly trying to feed you the best uh the best bounties for for the the most ruthless skeletons that are are out there for for true vengeance kind of thing yeah i mean you can start to see in a small way and you'll start to see this payoff but what's happening with the reaper's hideout like whatever whatever is going on there Obviously, players are central to expanding whatever the goal of the mass stranger is. And whatever that goal ends up being, you can imagine that trading companies are going to notice that and they're going to react in suit to what's happened. So, I mean, that that is 
that is what we're always trying to do, which is if there is a big world change, like trying to put players at the heart of it. And then the law and ultimately what players do with new mechanics are linked. We're very, very linked. I was really I'm I'm curious, um, because with the with the mass stranger, she's she's obviously asking us for very specific items at this point to, for, for her own ends uh, until we can find out what that is. And there's definitely a sense of unease about what we're doing as pirates when we make that, that conscious decision to take our treasure to her in, in the sense of reward. And I was talking with uh, Thor von Blitz earlier today um, uh, for, for the recording for this week that it feels like you guys kind of pegged us real quick uh, with the with the video that came out E3 2018 when you introduced the cursed cannonballs and it was it was taken to Madame Olivia and she she had this uh, uh, prophetic vision of what was going to happen in the sea of thieves coming and she looks at the the pirate in front of her and she's like you just you just want to know how much this is worth and he's like yeah <laughs> she's like all right 10 Spot and <laughs> it was it, that's and that's pretty much how i feel right now whenever i take stuff to the mass stranger i'm like you know i i feel like what i'm doing is probably not a good idea but you drive a hard bargain lady and mm. i just I, I love that but i was wondering uh, to kind of bring it down to an, an actual question is is do you did you consider when developing that character and the the route that we're on right now giving players an opt out for that or was it always kind of a default to just taking it to the merchants you mean an opt out in terms of the Consciously, story could have gone in in a different direction yeah, having giving players more agency to decide. Um, in in my mind, I've I've been recently playing the the latest World of Warcraft expansion, and mm -hmm. there's there's been a conscious decision from Horde players to decide if they're loyal to Sylvanas, who's become quite tyrannical in her storyline, uh, or remain loyal to the the outsiders who feel like her her approach is is um, pushing it as far as what's considered honorable within the Horde. And there's risk and reward with the two decisions that are given, and there's payoff for for one side versus the other side. And I'm curious, is there ever a time where you were wondering if you could build the masked stranger to to kind of give more insight to what's going on with people who are willing to take stuff to support her her funding, or if players could be uh, kind of kept in the dark if they aren't venturing out to visit her. So there was a really interesting one idea that I I, I loved, um, and this was more to do with kind of the the narrative kind of dissonance of the gold. You defeat the gold hoarder at the end of Shores of Gold, but mm -hmm. he's back all the time because you want mm -hmm. players to be able to replay that tale. Um, so you're 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 finishing this epic story, um, but he's still there. The idea of the only way to truly defeat the gold hoarder is to stop giving gold to the gold hoarders. It's to stop profiting through the greed of others. That's the only way to defeat the gold hoarder. And just kind of that that idea, um, you kind of know how that inevitably is going to play out, but I, <laughs> I do absolutely adore um, that idea. But I think it's more a case of 
and this this is the bit where it's the mechanics design and the world building and the law design and community feedback all that mm-hmm. you know the way we build this game is quite unique to sea of thieves the way the way we release content the way we interact with their community it's really a case of the game is only ever a snapshot of yeah where it is on its journey and player player feedback ebbs and flows in terms of what's what's the most important thing right now across mm-hmm. new players medium term players super engaged players the people that have been with us since the start like what's what's the most important thing if you were to tease all of that out and that's you can build a picture of that in your head of okay so these next five things in this order is what we need to hit to move the game forward in the way that we want to move it forward because you know we're trying to have this vision for where we want to take the game but that also answers the gameplay need of our players of what they want and i think so let's say for example you pick out you know idea x or feature x this is the next important thing that our players are asking for because it answers all these questions you then go what in our world represents that or could represent that and surprise people and that's where you go oh we built out our world law let's connect that piece of law with this gameplay need and then mm. they'll both suit the same same purpose so that's what we do um man that's you know hard. <laughs> really 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 i mean there's there's really simple examples of that and there's really more complex examples but a really simple example would be really simple um the seas are too empty completely fair feedback we'd sell the vision of every cell on the player beautiful yeah. pure vision we all believed in it wholeheartedly um but the seas were too empty fair enough so we want to introduce some kind of an ai threat right okay so there's skeleton forts how are the skeleton forts stocked okay then you go right skeletons skeletons are raising shipwrecks from the depths by some unknown power and they're filling mm. some fort vaults for some reason um but that's that's why the seas are more populated it's just a simple way of tying the law to a gameplay need and then what you're seeing with the mass stranger is kind of a more complex version of that of trying to move the game forward answer give players more of what they're looking for in the game but also try yeah. and do it in a way that surprises them so yeah but that's... like that that bit's the best bit that bit's the really fun bit um of you know, trying trying to trying to live up to players' expectations, but also trying to exceed them, uh, and it's hard, but it's the best part of the job. That's awesome. I I hadn't really thought to try and connect the fact that you at, at the end of the day you can put in as much lore as you want, but it has to be engaging to the whole audience as far as like bringing tools to the table so that people can have fun in new and interesting ways. Um, one it's like quick the flame question. heart thing, the flame, the flame heart um, element at the end of Seabound Soul. I mean, it felt mm-hmm. like he, Flameheart himself. I know there's the senior and the junior thing, but 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 built up over several elements of law. You know, he's a, for want of a better word, he's a Darth Vader. He's a Emperor Palpatine of the Sea of Thieves. Yeah. He's this the ultimate pirate who gave into the. You know, he just wants to be a pirate for all eternity. He doesn't care what damage he leaves in his wake. It yeah. felt, it didn't feel right to just turn him 
into another Skelly Lord boss fight with custom moves or, you know, a kind mm-hmm. of a, a big encounter because how is it ever going to pay off um, what he represents? And that's not to say there's not going to be a climax of that story at some point, but it felt like now he needs to be, he needs to be bigger than a physical threat, which was that's the idea was. of, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the dark relics can bridge the physical world with the Sea of Thieves supernatural realm, the Sea of the Damned, what if Flame Art could transcend and he could be anywhere and he could access the Sea of the Damned? What damage could he cause? Like, how can we turn him in? How can we amplify what he can do in the world? Um, Which is what Seabound Soul was. Um, So now now we've got got our ultimate good guy, um, the Pirate Lord, which sounds incredibly simple, but it's really about... You know, the good representing the good of players is the pirate lord, and then you've got Flameheart, who represents the bad side of players, and yeah. that's and then and then in between you've got all the shades of grey of the trading companies. But that's that's the direction we're heading in, which is there's a more known spectrum in the sea of these between good, between bad, and then players can slide along that scale in the middle um, to have the adventures that they want to have. I mean, that's the direction that we're heading in. So again, it's still tapping into that kind of the emotions and choose your own adventure, but it's got this kind of canvas behind it, which breathes life into it through all this lore. Um, I, yeah. I really, I really hope, and and this, I know this puts pressure on you, but I really hope that at some point there's going to be a, a point where players will have to decide where their loyalties lie, whether they're they're for the pirate lord or whether they're for Captain Flameheart. Because I got some cutthroat buddies, and I've got some some pirate lord friends who who love the the community and stuff. So seeing how those, I mean, I see it every day on the seas, but I would love to uh, to kind of see how that all comes together. And I'm, I'm really excited to find out where you guys are going with this story. Um, but I don't want to take up any more of your time. I, I promised I would, I would keep it to, to 45 minutes to, to an hour. Um, Mike, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really hope I get a chance to do this again with you um, later on. Hopefully, hopefully after the next uh, anniversary comes out and, and we get a chance to kind of look back over, over the last year and, and see what's coming in the future especially considering there's some some characters that you've talked about some characters that you've put into this game that are near and dear to me that i really want to see come to uh fruition like i I love nine cats and i love diving bell i can't wait to see why there's a statue of her holding onto a buoy in the middle of of rare studios (laughs) (laughs) i i need i need to find out that story and i can't wait to do so but thank you so much for for joining me tonight Uh, no it's an an absolute pleasure absolute pleasure um yeah we should definitely do this again like like absolute joy to talk about the game and obviously get into kind of the the meaning behind it all it's yeah absolute joy to do so yeah we should do it again awesome it's beautiful and then if you had to pick a faction what's your favorite faction and what's your favorite island oh I'm going to have to... 
I'm going to say gold hoarders because just because it's the it's the quintessential pirate activity of treasure hunting. Favorite island? Uh, I would say I'd say Thieves Haven. <laughs> 